Well, John chapter 4, if you have your Bibles today, we're in a series on the book of John, and my message today is on living water. Living water. Can you say that with me? Living water. It's a continuation of what we've talked about in chapter 3, as we've gone through that, where we see it was the beginning of some amazing, unexpected events with Nicodemus. In chapter 3, it talked about how to get to heaven. Chapter 4 talks about who gets to heaven, who will be there. And today, we're talking about this incredible story of the woman at the well. We know it well, the woman at the well. And we think our story many times is so weak, it's too weak, it's too normal. Um, We think that our past, if we look at it, somehow disqualifies us from God using us in the future. Sometimes we become convinced that God can only use people that have it all together or who know all of the answers. But the truth is today, let me say this, is nobody has it all together. Are you with me? Nobody has it all together, for sure. Despite our deficiencies, God wants to use each and every one of us, no matter our background, no matter the mess in our past, and no matter the history in our lives, God has a plan to use our story as a testament to his greatness. And I want you to understand that as we look at this story today, who can go to heaven? That question is answered in John chapter 4. And we're going to learn some lessons today in Jesus' ministry, like walking with God, living water, and there is a waiting harvest that he deals with in these few portions of Scripture. Three lessons today as we talk about the first lesson is walking with God. Can you say that with me? Walking with God. Verse 1, chapter 4. Now, when Jesus learned that The Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. He left Judea and he departed again for Galilee. We just went through this last week. Here is Jesus. He's not interested in controversy. He's not interested in arguments. He's not even about that. He's about making peace. He's about doing his father's business So he leaves where John is baptizing, and it leads him to the place, and we see in verse 4, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now listen, this whole event takes place in Samaria. Samaria is the area directly north of Jerusalem. Should be a map behind me. Under Solomon in the Old Testament, there was a dividing of the kingdom into two parts. There was the northern part, and then there was the southern part until 753 B.C., where the superpower of that day in the Middle East was a nation known as Assyria. And they invaded the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, and part of the policy is that they would deport all of the other people in the upper region and bring in other people from another region to settle them there. And that is exactly what they did with the ten tribes. They moved them out of the land of Israel They brought in other people, and they left the the people that were there, some of the poorest of the Israelites. 
Because of that, there was a blending that took place of cultures. There was a blending of religion. There was the intermarry of the peoples that took place. And this continued for three centuries until the time of Nehemiah. And he comes to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. You remember that in the Old Testament. And when he comes to do that, the Samaritans in the Old Testament, they hear about this project. And they come and asked to be a part of rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem, promoting temple worship and Jewish people. And um, you see inside of here that the Samaritans had a part to play. What the Samaritans did was they wanted the land of Samaria. They took a mountain there that is mentioned in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy, Mount Gerizim. And they said, this is the mountain where everybody should worship. And they took... And they believed in only the first five books of the Bible, known as the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That is what they based their religion on. And so you see that they had a temple on Mount Gerizim. In 128 BC, a leader took an army up into Samaria. He destroyed their temple and burned Shechem to the ground. And there, from that point forward, there was a lot of bad blood and feelings between the Jews and and the Samaritans. From the map, as you see it, if you're a Jewish person who's going to go from Jerusalem to the Sea of Galilee, where did they have to go? They had to go through Samaria. And that is where we are at today in this portion of Scripture. We understand Jewish people weren't really known to go through Samaria And they definitely did not want a notable rabbi to go through the area. So here's Jesus. He had to go through Samaria. And Jesus goes, remember last week we talked about Salem down to Samaria into a town called Sychar. All of that to say this. When you walk with God, one of the things that is very true is God will order your steps. God will direct your life. And in this case, it results in a divine appointment that God has for Jesus, his son. He's going to be sharing the good news of the gospel. And let me tell you something, the good news of the gospel is still the good news of the gospel, amen? Let's never forget that. With this woman who desperately needs the truth and needs to be free. For any one of us and for all of us in our life, when we're walking with God, we understand that God has a plan for our life. Our life is not accidental, nor is it incidental, that we realize that God orders every single one of our steps. The Bible says in Psalm 37 and verse 23 that the Lord directs the steps of the godly. If you are a godly person in this room today or in the sound of my voice, God directs your steps, and he says he delights in every single detail of your life. That is how personal and personable of a God that we serve, that he cares about every single minute detail of our life today. That is powerful, amen? And the psalmist says that. If you're godly, God has ordered your steps, and listen, he delights in every detail of what you're going through today. God is aware of everything that you are going through right now in this room. He is aware of what you're thinking. He's aware of what you're going through. He's aware of what you're going to do tomorrow. 
And so what we should be praying is this every single day. Lord, please lead me. God, please guide me. God, please direct my conversation and help me not to miss out on those divine appointments, those people that come across my path that I can speak encouragement to, words of life that I can share the good news of the gospel with them. That really is a, being intentional about walking with God every single day. And it may require us to take a step out of what you're normally doing and be led upon a detour just like Jesus did. And it's probably not on the same path that you've continued to go on every single day. But we realize that Jesus is a template of how God wants to work in every single person's life. When you're walking with the Lord... The Lord wants you to be sensitive to him. The Lord wants you to be sensitive. Sometimes we dismiss those thoughts when God brings somebody to our mind to call them or to speak to them. You ever had that in your life? I'm sure you have many times. You're going about the course of your day. Somebody's uh, name comes to mind. A picture of them in your mind comes. A thought comes about them. And so many times what happens is, We dismiss those thoughts. We've all been there. We've all done it. We dismiss them and we continue to go on for whatever reason. And and we realize that it is there that God is speaking to us if we are listening. If, If you're a child of God, God is directing your paths. And if you really believe that, then the thoughts that you have of people that come to mind, those are God thoughts. And so he's going to Samaria, and we're picking up in verse 5. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar. Now, what's very interesting about this, this, the name of this city called Sychar is this word represents in the original meaning a strong drink or drunkenness. It is a town where people live on the wild side. And it is a town that is also known for falsehood. And near that field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph, Jacob's well was there, verse 6. So Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, the Bible says, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. The sixth hour is noon. The sixth hour in Jewish time frame is our noon. What's interesting in this setting, while Jesus' disciples, they're getting food in town, Jesus has a divine appointment with this woman. He will be at the right place and he will be at the right time because there is somebody there that needs Jesus. And even as uh, Pastor Mike said just a moment ago, Easter is coming. And I just want to encourage you as a church next month as we come upon really this great day in the calendar of Christianity all over the world that you would right now begin to pray for who you will invite and who you will come across throughout this next month leading up to Easter to invite them to our Easter services here, Stephen City Campus, at our Clearbrook Campus as well, that God is going to provide divine appointments for you to ask somebody, to invite somebody to come to Easter that they might find the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 7, it says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. There's a walking with God, that's the first lesson. Then the second lesson is living water. Can somebody say living water? Now in this day, 
we realize this, that a woman is not to be out in public by herself in Arab societies. She is either to be accompanied by her brother, her husband, or her son. And a woman does not speak to a man in public in that day. In that day, if a man was speaking to a woman for any length of time, it would mean that they have already had sexual intercourse. Understand that this is not done. I know that's a little shocking, isn't it? We had somebody back out. My Lord. Yeah. So. (laughs) Somebody just got a revelation. (laughs) It wasn't socially acceptable. But Jesus is less concerned about social norms than than he is saying, I have been sent here on divine appointment to share the gospel and the good news with this woman. He is less concerned about what people might think, but Jesus is totally above reproach and pure in his thinking. It just wasn't done. This woman becomes an illustration to show us who the gospel is really for, that in chapter 3, we have Nicodemus coming. In chapter 4, We have the woman at the well, and they are absolutely polar opposites. I love how the Word of God brings this out visually to us, that Nicodemus and the woman at the well are polar opposites, just a few verses away that here Nicodemus you had in chapter 3. He is a leader. He is renowned. He is known. He is revered. And you have the woman at the well who is an absolute outcast in her day. You have Nicodemus who comes at night, and you have the woman at the well who comes at 12 noon during the daylight. You have Nicodemus who is a scholar. You have the woman at the well who is completely ignorant. Who is the gospel for? It is for people who are full of themselves and for people who are outcast and viewed totally as lost without Jesus Christ. Who's the gospel for? How far will God's love go? It will reach out to self-righteous people like Nicodemus, and it will reach out to the outcast sinners as well. And Jesus begins to have a conversation with this woman in verse 7 and says, give me a drink. And this just shouldn't have been done. It defied the cultural norm for a Jew to ask a Samaritan but also for a man to ask a woman. In verse 8, for this woman had gone away into the city, the disciple, excuse me, had gone away into the city to buy food, and the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink, ask a drink from me? A woman of Samaria, know this, that they believed in that day that Samaritan women were unclean. All of that is going on, you understand. You just don't touch them. Um, because to touch them would render you unclean. They were, there were some ceremonial laws in that day that were absolutely crazy, and she is absolutely shocked because this should not be happening, and this means Jews don't share even dishes with Samaritans, that you realize the Jew would bring their own cup and bring their own plate and bring their own utensils because to share with them and to use what they have is absolutely unclean. They didn't touch anything from a Samaritan. She can't believe that Jesus is talking to her. She cannot believe it. 
She is stunned. There's some of you here today because of where you've been and what you've gone through that you believe that God doesn't want anything to do with you. The message and the lesson of John chapter 4 is that God goes to great lengths to reach people. Absolutely any single person that is lost. And listen, if it's just for one person and it's in an out-of-the-way town, he is going to go there. It doesn't matter because he is a friend of sinners. He's reaching out to us today. He's reaching out to you today. He loves you. He has a love for you that is absolutely everlasting, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So Jesus is engaging her in conversation. She's shocked. And Jesus responds to her in verse 10. Jesus answered to her, if you knew the gift of God, what is the gift? The gift is salvation. And who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you what kind of water? Living water. If you would understand this and you would know this, he's speaking to her and to her ignorance, is that if you would have known, he would give you living water. And he's moving this out of the realm of natural water that she can drink, the water in the well, and he's beginning to talk to her about living water. Living water, the idea of water is synonymous in the Old Testament with salvation. In Jeremiah 2, 12 through 13, God says, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they have hewn out cisterns for themselves. They have broken cisterns that can hold no water. Here's what God is saying. They've chosen a spirituality and an approach to God that is based on their own ideas and their own righteousness. And so they rejected the living water And they created their own cisterns of salvation. Like, for instance, hey, if I'm a good person, I should just get to go to heaven. That is digging out their own cisterns. And we still do it in the day and age we live. That if I just do this, what happens is then I should go to heaven. That's just just a good person. And that is digging out our own cisterns. And he says, listen, that's not what I require. That's not how you will get to heaven. He says, you and I need living water that is spiritual that comes from heavenly places. And you see, Isaiah 55 is a chapter on salvation. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 55. This is a chapter on salvation. In verse 1, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has not money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. You know, look at this. It's one thing to be spiritual, but if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is what this woman is in John chapter 4. She is spiritual, but she is ignorant to the truth of the living water. She's ignorant. And so, because you realize what is in that day is still in this day. That today, and it's becoming more prominent in thought over and over again, that, that, listen, if it works for me, Therefore, it works, right? We live in that day. And that's the same attitude that she has. And we live in such a day right now that, hey, if it works for me, then it works. If I dig out my own cistern and it works, that this is how I should get to heaven, then, hey, it should work. And so what works for me works for me. Whatever works for you works for you. That is the prominent thought continually, even in the day that we live. 
But Jesus is coming and bringing that alongside of them saying, no, no, there's something spiritual I want you to see. It is living water, and I want you to understand that. And so let me tell you something. Since we live in that day, well, whatever works for me works for me, and whatever you want to do, what you do, we live in a spiritually ignorant time and a very sexually confused season and time in our culture. Because people are trying to redefine the Word of God. The Word of God has already been defined. It doesn't need to be redefined. Amen? It is why we live in such a spiritually ignorant and sexually confused time in our history. You can't buy your way into salvation. It is by grace through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God so that no man can boast. Then he goes on to say in Isaiah, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. His thoughts aren't our thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. No, declares the Lord, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower, bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth, the Lord says, and it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the things for which I sent it. It's amazing. He's giving the picture here. Rain comes down, people receive it, and then they are saved. It is a living water motif that he is using in the Old Testament. And so verse 13, if you'll look at that with me in Isaiah 55, that I think is so powerful, and if we could grab onto this and understand, he says, there's no more thistles, but giant sequoias. There's no more thorn bushes, but stately pines. When you have thorns and you have thistles in your garden and it rains, what do these thorns and thistles do? They grow and they get bigger. Listen, God's word not only grows something, but it fundamentally changes the nature of something. This is powerful. Instead of a thistle, a giant sequoia will grow. Instead of a thorn bush, a stately pine. You come to God in darkness and you leave in light. Amen? You come one way And he changes you, and he doesn't just change you on the outside, he changes you on the inside. That is what verse 13 is saying in here. I hope you're getting this today. Are you getting this? I hope you're getting this. This is God's word to us. You were a thorn bush, you you became a redwood. You were a thistle, and now you have become a stately pine. I mean, we need to be thankful, hey, that, hey, I'm no longer a thorn bush and a thistle. I am now a stately pine. You are now a redwood. You are now a sequoia. There is something that has taken place inside of you that God has changed because of what he does supernaturally. The rain, the snow comes down, and many times we can't see the effect of that, but it goes into the ground, and if we will receive it, 
we will be changed on the inside first. That's what he's saying. That if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, and the old thorn bush has passed away, and behold, we are giant sequoias for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's living water. That's living water. You become somebody that is totally different. Isn't it amazing that we can see some of the hardest people get changed by the power of who God is, and they were a rotten, no-good sinner on their way to hell. And then when they received the word of life, that God changes the course and the direction of their life, and they're living as a saint. That's what God's word does the best. Amen? Amen? Jesus, you got to realize in this, you see, man, we get to, you, listen, if you're in this room and, and you're thorny and thistly, you don't have to stay that way. Amen? That's the word of the Lord to us. You don't have to stay that way. Because the living water changes us on the inside. You become a stately pine. When's the last time you called yourself a stately pine? Come on, turn to the person next to you and say, you are a stately pine. Tell them you're a sequoia. Yes, that's God's word. You just spoke God's word over somebody today. You're no longer a thistle. You're no longer prickly anymore. You're stately. You're, you're a red Wood. Wow, you have become somebody totally different. I can see it. Verse 11, the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where did you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? That was a question. He gave us the well and drank from it, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. The water that's inside the well, if you drink it, you're going to thirst again. Verse 14, but whoever, 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 it doesn't matter, drinks of the water I give will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to her, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or will not have to come to draw water. He's saying, you know what? You need a spiritual transformation. There needs to be something changed deep inside of you that that physical water can't, but my water can. And the lady at the well understands this moment. All of a sudden, the conversation begins to turn in a whole new way. And it's in that moment God is at work and she gets this. Is there any way to change my life? Other people have shunned me because of my life. No, but she wants to be changed and she wants that. In verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right. And saying, I have no husband, for you have five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. When you and I are on divine mission, don't be surprised if one of the things that God does is give you insight. As you step out in faith, you find yourself saying things that you couldn't have known on your own. But it's the Spirit of God giving you discernment 
a word of knowledge, word of wisdom to help you minister in that situation. So I think the thing that we got to be reminded of, we need to remind ourselves of, when we're stepping out for the Lord and we're on a divine mission, you're not stepping out alone. When you step out, you're stepping out in his power. And he is going to give you insight. He's going to give you wisdom. And he's going to give you direction. And he's going to give you the words to say. It's, you, you don't even know what you knew. But you, you knew it because God gave it to you. And Jesus knows the condition of this woman's heart. And this woman gets a bad rap many times in the story. Women in that day did not have the right to get or, or to give a divorce. She's divorced five times. It's not because she divorced her husband. It's because her husband divorced her. Divorce was rampant in that day, and men divorced for any and every reason. The main reason was the inability to conceive a child. And we're not sure the reason in these five accounts, because it doesn't say, but she's on her own, and she's a beggar. She's required to go to the well and get the water and endure the ridicule by others. She's left to her own. Society has left her. Jesus has come to rescue her. Wow. What society has left, God has come to pick up and restore. The woman said to her, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. There's a desire in this woman to be right with God. She's getting, she's understanding the truth. She has to go to a priest. That was required in that day. She has to go to a priest. She has to go to a mediator. She has to. That's what was required in that day. Uh, do, do I do that here, she says, or do I do that in Jerusalem? And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. She was not informed. He says, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. God is invisible. He is unknowable apart from the revelation of himself through Jesus Christ to people. And if we're going to walk with him, it's a spiritual journey, and we relate to him as a spiritual being. If we're we're going to relate to God, it has to be based upon his truth as revealed in the word of God. And I just want to encourage you, as you're just reaching out and you're talking to people, don't be surprised at the words that will come out of your mouth. They'll be unplanned, but you're being led by the Lord. I look back many times in conversation I've had with people, sometimes thinking, I'm not sure what I'm actually going to say here. Lord, please give me wisdom. Please give me direction even as I'm speaking here. But it's through that I will say a word just like you have. You're going to say something. You're going to say a statement. You're going to give a scripture. And they're going to look at you and they're going to say, how did you know that? How did you know that I was going through this? That is the Holy Spirit. Church, I just want to help equip you today that through this, you understand that God is using us. God is, he's readily with us as we are being led by divine appointment. You're going to say things to your kids. You're going to say things to your coworker. You're going to say things to your, your somebody, a student on campus, a teacher, a principal. You're going to say something that's going to trigger. And they might not even say anything, but it's going to trigger something inside of them 
that's going to make sense to be like, wow, God, you are speaking to me. Our words are powerful. I look back many times ago, whoa, where did that come from? Well, it's the Lord. And so the only way that there would be revelation is through Jesus Christ. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming. He was called the Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all these things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I am the Messiah. Wow. Somewhere in the white space between verse 26 and verse 27, this woman is born again. Verse 27 just Then his disciples came back. They marveled at what he was talking with with this woman, but no one said, "Uh, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? The third lesson, there is a waiting harvest. There is a change in this woman. She came out of that city with what? She, she had a water jar. She came at noon. The sixth hour is our noon. You don't come out in noon at the noontime hour in that day. This is the Middle East. It's hot. It's searing. Typically, people come out in the cool of the day. Why does she come out? At 12 noon, she wants to avoid people. She's embarrassed about her past. Not having put her faith in Jesus now, she, at this moment, she says, I'm going to put my faith in you, Christ. And it's in that moment that the Bible says she left her water jar with Jesus. She leaves her burden with him, and she goes back into the city without a burden not avoiding people, but sharing with people about her life. Her past doesn't matter. Why? Because she's been forgiven now. She's no longer ashamed. Such a marvelous display of the grace and the compassion of Jesus who reaches out to this woman at the well that no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, that Jesus still loves you. She is a living illustration that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. No more burden. No more shame. No more guilt. You get a new identity. There's a new freedom. You're a new person. You're a new creation that a thorn has now become a red wood. And that is the power of the gospel for absolutely every single person on planet Earth today. That's the power. See, meeting Jesus was not a story that could be contained. But get this, six men couldn't give her the relationship that the seventh man could. That in everything that you're looking for today, only Jesus can fulfill every single one of us. Come see a man who told me everything about myself. Listen, if he can tell me about me, I think he can tell about you. That, yeah, he does love you right where you're at. 
but he really does care about every detail. He's saying, you know, there's no charge for grace. There's no charge. I'm going to love you right where you're at with all of your addictions, with all of your bitterness, more pride sometimes than Satan himself. But it's God's grace, and that's the testimony this woman had, the testimony that revolutionized the whole city to the point that in the book of Acts, he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and what? Samaria. Into the uttermost parts of the earth. Wait a minute. How did Samaria get there? Because of John chapter 4. The woman at the well. You know, our cities can be named one thing, but God can radically change it with his power through you and me to make history. To change the evil that we see in our culture, our society, and the cities that we live in, God can fundamentally change absolutely anything when people get stirred, when people get changed, when people get transformed by the power of the gospel and go out of the church and touch their culture and touch their neighborhoods and touch, and touch their workplace, that our cities can be absolutely changed. Stephen City, Clearbrook, Frederick County, whole Shenandoah area, God can change it for the glory of the gospel. Amen? That's the power of it. That's the power of God's word. I mean, come on, I wonder if there's just people here that still believe that today. Amen? You believe that? I mean, one woman revolutionized the city. One woman that was embarrassed and shamed now leaves there and says, listen, I just met a man who told me everything about me and still loves me. And so I'm forgiven now, and I'm set free, and I'm going to go tell everybody else that's around me. Wow, that's what it's about, change lives. So my question is today, I wonder what God is waiting for you to tell. And our job is to tell others. This thing in this tells us once again that God desires a personal relationship with absolutely every single person on planet Earth today. He knows every person by name. He wants a relationship with you and me. Do you have that relationship? As we bow our heads and we close our eyes today, I want you to just realize that today that um, it's a father-child relationship. That's what it is. That's what this is about. That's what he's asking us to come and do, and that's what he wants to do to transform us. It's his living water. What is he saying? The things that are natural, they won't change you. I have the power to change you. The things that you've been looking for, the natural, they can't change you. He's saying, I can change you. I can do this today. Father, these powerful words from John chapter 4 stir my heart. That the good news then is still the good news now. That no matter who we are or what we've done or what we've come from, Lord, our, our past, our history, Lord, doesn't have to hold us back from your very best. That every single person here has a story. That every single person here, Lord Jesus, can have a new life. 
that, Lord, you can change us from thorns and thistles to stately pines and sequoias because your word can do that and transform the most hardened heart. I just wondered today that would you just repeat, every person in here, just repeat this prayer. It's a prayer of a personal prayer of relationship today that you can have with Jesus Christ. Whether you've prayed it before or praying it for the first time to take this moment. When you invite Jesus in, everybody, would you repeat after me? Lord Jesus, I invite you into my life. I believe you died for me and that your blood pays for my sins and provides me with the gift of eternal life. By faith, I receive that gift and I acknowledge you as my Lord and Savior. Amen. Father, I just thank you now. I thank you now in this room for those that have prayed this maybe again or prayed it for the first time. The Lord, you have come now to set the captive free. Today, as you sit here with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you have prayed this prayer today, would you just lift your hand and say, you know what, I have done this. I have accepted Christ. Thank you. I see a number of hands. Keep them raised. Any other hands? I see one back over here, here, here. See that hand? See these hands, hands, so many hands, so many hands today that I see hands being raised, that God is transforming lives. It's what he does best. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Father, we bless you and thank you that you change us. That you are the living water for every single one of our needs today, Lord. And we give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.